0: Those Scandinavian winds always so mysterious and it's particularly difficult to tell which way they're blowing in Norway when it comes to transfer pricing. Norway is the kind of jurisdiction that sways between relaxed and nitpicky just when you think you've got them all figured out something else sneaks up only to bite you right in the assets. There are no transfer pricing specific penalties, but there are steep surtaxes on adjustments. And unlike many of the Scandinavian countries or Central European members of the OECD, Norway hasn't officially adopted three-tier documentation, but it does accept it. So long as it includes a long list of additional information. We'll have more specifics on the forms involved later in the show. But make no mistake, scrutiny is increasing. Bottom line, with a new focus on transfer pricing what does all that mean cross border zone hosker hugenberg is here to tell us all about it without further ado let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news Did you know that one out of every three bananas comes from Ecuador? That's a lot of bananas we're talking about. So I guess it makes sense that on July 1st, when the country finally published technical standards for Ecuador's transfer pricing regime, i.e. which financial info should be used to calculate a profit level indicator, it also laid out specific transfer pricing rules in regards to one of its biggest exports. You guessed it, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. The new resolution includes how to calculate the monthly comparable price for certain banana boxes, 22XU if that means anything to you. The calculations depend on the banana's final destination and financial info that's available up to March 15th of the tax year following the year of analysis the tax authorities will have to publish a comparable price on their website. Multiplying that price by the minimum price of the fruit, then dividing the result by the minimum price of the 22XU banana box should deliver an arm's length price. And of course, the guidance listed some other fine print specifics, but if we dove into each calculation here, trust us, it would drive you, well, If COVID has taught us one thing on a transfer pricing level anyway, it's that the profit split method sure can come in handy. You can divide your profits, fingers crossed, or your losses these days a more likely scenario, between related parties. Sounds simple enough, not to mention a perfect solution for a global economic downturn. But if you're thinking quick fix, experts warn you could be inviting trouble. If you've typically used methods that align profits with one side of a transaction and now you're allocating them between parties, well, let's just say tax authorities notice these things. Especially if you're trying on a new methodology for no particular business reason. The OECD and IRS say the profit split method is appropriate in certain circumstances. If each party is making unique and valuable contributions, if business operations are highly integrated, or if each party is sharing substantial risks. But if you haven't shown this in past documentation, then the profit split method may get you little more than lots of unwanted attention from your favorite tax authorities. How do you avoid the wrath of the Australian tax agency on intercompany loans? Easy, you employ arm's length credit ratings to your related party financial transactions. According to the ATO's recent guidance on audit avoidance, part of the country's practical compliance system, a move like this, though not a safe harbor, can offer a little more tax certainty than you might be used to from the land down under. Use the compliance system to stay in the ATO's low risk, green or white zone and you can avoid audits australian parent companies should play it safe and register with the australian stock exchange and extend related party loans with the same terms and credit rating as they do for third parties will a strategic move like this guarantee you'll be off the radar no of course not but given how aggressive this particular tax authority is we'll take all the help we can get and so should you Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show, Cross Border Solutions weekly transfer pricing podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country specific regulations. Husker, thank you so much for being back with us on The Fiona Show. To start things off, what is your experience with transfer pricing in Norway?
1: In my previous uh, job, I had my fair share of having to deal with tax audits in Norway and that predominantly was focused around transfer pricing and actually had the honor of going to court in Norway, uh, transfer pricing case, and I'm very lucky to say that uh, ultimately we won. So, you know, I've, I've had my fair share.
0: Yeah. Yeah, always good to win what is happening these days at the norway tax authority the nta
1: i would say it's a theme that you would see in, in many more countries there is a an increased focus on yeah. you know, the company transactions Transfer pricing has been applied, you know, within the Norwegian tax authorities, they, they have their own transfer pricing project wanting to, to have all the major tax officers focusing in on transfer pricing. So there is an increased number of all the dedicated transfer pricing tax inspectors. So corporates will see an increased activity in tax audits in general, transfer pricing audits uh, in particular.
0: And what is your own personal advice to companies with operations in Norway? You
1: know, consistency is very important. But in Norway, that's, that's even more important, especially in relation to, let's say, the, uh, the other Scandinavian countries, because Norway, together with Sweden and Denmark, and, and also sometimes Finland, they do uh, perform joint audits. So they go and audit a company together who has operations in those countries. So, you know, I would say consistency in your documentation is essential.
0: Well, just with their relationship between those countries, obviously there, there's a historical context there. But do you think that goes even beyond where Norway has treaties with all other countries with regard to sharing CBCR data?
1: No, I'm not sure about that. You know, I mean, was already for for some time now that that the Scandinavian countries formed joint audits and. You know, I, I was in my previous role. Uh, that was also a joint tax audit, although, from a tax authority point of view, that wasn't really very successful. But it's it's really more about that these are relatively small countries, so they obviously share a history together, and they already, for some time ago, decided that potentially in their best interest to perform these audits together, to join forces mm-hmm. and audit companies. You know together
0: sticking to the basic facts norway is a member of the oecd has it adopted beps action 13
1: and that's that's interesting it it has not at least not in relation to master file and local file so notwithstanding that the concept of having a master file and and preparing a local file is commonly accepted but you have to look at the specifics of the norwegian local rules regulations when preparing your call it local file for Norway. And
0: what is the information that Norway does require?
1: It, in a lot of ways, is similar to the Action Plan 13 local file format. They need to have a description of the group's financial model, you need to have a historical description of the group and the local entity, description of the industry, competition, the financial info of the group obviously needs to be in there, but also of the local entity for the last three years. And so if there is a reduction in the local entities operating profits you need to explain it you know what were the triggers for that if if the group has centralized services that are being charged to the norwegian entity you need to very explicitly explain what actually is the expected benefit for the entity involved for the norwegian entity you need to uh, provide insight in the cost base allocation keys explain the benefit to Norwegian business uh, and also you know explain that there is no duplication with any services that are also performed by the local entity itself and on on the analysis you need to perform there needs to be a two-sided function risk analysis you need to have your description of the transfer pricing method used and how the price was determined so there is an exemption for local entities for including analysis if the comparable transactions uh, don't exist or too costly to find um, there is a list of immaterial transactions for local entities. There is also a threshold for small type of companies or that have only small intercompany transactions that they then do not need to provide support and documentation for that. But in general, you know, it's sufficient to have a BEPS Action 13 format report to at least have penalty protection with not specific transfer pricing uh, penalties, but, you know, there could be a 20% surtax on the base of local rules on, on your adjusted amount. And if there is gross negligence, it could even go up to 40. So with the documentation in place, you at least, you know, provide, you are compliant with the local documentation rules.
0: And so what is the distance between these requirements and what typically goes into a local file and a master file, maybe for the folks listening who are thinking, oh, well, why could I still? Um,
1: well, it? I think, you know, greater scheme it it is very similar. what is maybe a difference is that you need to explain if there is a a change in the operational profit or the operating profit of the entity that you need to provide a explicit explanation to that that that's not very clear coming out of action plan thirteen, but you know overall, I think it is. Very, very similar. Having the two-sided function risk analysis, obviously, also in a similar way, is also included in the action plan,
0: thirteen coming out of the OECD. And are there any additional disclosures?
1: Yeah, there is. Like, like in in an increasing number of countries, there is a there is a, a specific uh, appendix that goes with the, uh, the annual corporate income tax return. It's called an RF eleven twenty three form. That's a very transfer pricing specific return and that, you know, you need to disclose all of your company transactions in there that has to go together with your annual income tax return. That specific form often forms the basis for, you know, the Norwegian tax authorities uh, to determine, you know, whether I want to uh, open up a a audit uh, that is, uh, you know, uh, focused on transfer pricing.
0: And what about the CBCR? Does Norway require country by country reports?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's the one component out of action plans 13 the team that they have implemented. Does documentation have to be prepared contemporaneously? Um, yes, like many countries, you know, you have the basis of the local rules, 45 days to hand it in on request of the tax office. You must keep the TP documentation on record for at least a period of 10 years.
0: Is that a, a, an especially long period of time in the grand scheme of things?
1: Uh, It's a bit longer than in most countries. I mean, uh, you do need to, but it it often there is maybe not coming out of the tax regulations, but there is coming out of the the legal regulatory rules or corporate governance rules. There is often an obligation to keep records for a period of sometimes even up to 10 years. So it's it's a long period. But yeah, I mean, I've seen other countries where that's uh, quite similar
0: in what is norway's approach to methodology is there an hierarchy preferred methods
1: well you know officially it accepts all of the approaches and 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 methods that are also listed in the oecd guidelines you know even other methods variation to methods if they show that the results are at arm's length but you know they do prefer traditional transactional methods over profit-based methods, so really looking at each transaction uh, separately to analyze and test the arm's length nature of uh, each of the transactions. But yeah, I mean, also profit-based methods, you know, the support that is growing uh, depending on uh, the specific uh, circumstances.
0: Do you think that has to do with the desire for Norway to sort of get in on the digital economy pie, so to speak?
1: I mean, yeah, that that could certainly have, have a, actually play a role in that. I mean, that's still something which in many European countries is is on the radar screen. It's it's on the political agenda. You know, like in many countries, it has not really crystallized in, in how they want to tackle it. But I mean, obviously, you know, with more profit-based analysis, you can try and come up uh, with an argument from a tax authority point of view that uh, an entity should make a certain level of of profit based on you know the activities overall that it is performing in a country
0: for sure what about comparables do they have to be local for norway
1: like many countries has a preference for local comparables but you know like the other scandinavian countries if you are able to uh, produce a Nordics, you know, slash Scandinavian comparable um, list that is uh, generally accepted by the Norwegian tax office. And can it be
0: difficult in your experience to find local comparables in this jurisdiction?
1: Um, Well, you know, Norway is a a relatively small country, obviously, especially if you set aside oil and gas industry. So it it will depend a bit on, on the type of transaction you know, for very generic transactions like, I don't know, intercompany loans or uh, centralized uh, services being uh, provided. Yeah, there also might be uh, might be easier to find local comparables if you compare that with very specific type of transactions. But I mean, as I said, it's a good tradition in the Scandinavian countries that they do accept, you know, also comparables from the other Scandinavian countries, just like they do also accept, which is quite unique to that region, that besides the study being made available in their own language or in English, they also accept it to be, you know, in any of the other Scandinavian languages.
0: why should you have to spend your whole R and D tax credit on getting your R and D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. So, in the grand scheme of things, how likely are multinationals to be audited in Norway?
1: In general terms, I think it's 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 a relative high risk. Norwegian Tax Office you know, is is really trying to build capacity and knowledge about transfer pricing, specifically aimed at you know, increasing audit activity. You know, it's it's maybe not so much on methodologies. I would say maybe that's that's a medium risk, but more on, and that comes again out of that form that we talked about that company needs to uh, add to its tax return, you know, they they will probably look at taxpayers that have related party transactions with uh, low or negative margins of the tax office. Also, depending on the industry situations, you know, popular uh, type of transactions that draw attention are restructuring uh, type of situations or IP transactions, but also management fees, you know, whole discussion about you know, the benefit of underlying service, and there is no duplication, obviously, uh, it's popular also with the Norwegian uh, tax authorities. So and as I said, they use that form RF 1123, and obviously also the C-by-C report to select companies for audit.
0: So is is that basically the function of that form to differentiate themselves so much from, you know, OECD norms? They don't, they don't even ask for a local or a master file. They ask for the specific form and that trips everybody up. And that's how that's the most likely place where an audit happens.
1: Well, you know, I think it's more on making it easier for the authorities to determine whether, you know, a, a company in Norway has... Uh, significant intercompany transactions, the volume of the intercompany transaction, the type of intercompany transaction, and the type of margin it's making—it's to make it easy to them to say, okay, you know, is it worthwhile, or do we want to have a further look in that and open a tax audit? It's—it's it's all about you know, tax authorities wanting to see all the relevant information so that they can determine whether they believe they should open a tax audit and. know start looking at the transfer pricing Mm. and you
0: described the chances of a methodology being the reason for an audit being a, a medium risk but would that differentiate from industry to industry given like that slight preference for transactional over profit based methods
1: yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, also the Norwegian tax office has a very keen interest in, in the whole technology sector. And, you know, obviously, like many countries, especially in Europe, are keen to argue that companies should pay their fair amount of tax on the basis of the revenue they generate in a country and not so much on the revenue that they report in the country. You know, on the basis of whatever the tax structure is they've chosen. So, yeah, I mean, it, it obviously depends a bit on that. And also, you know, on transaction, I mean, on the method, obviously more profit split type of transactions draw the attention of authorities in many countries. And Norway, I would say, is not an exception to that.
0: For sure. Now, slightly related, but a bigger umbrella, which outside of merely the methodology, which industry situations are likely to be targeted by the NTA?
1: Well, high tech. And, and also, you know, also bear in mind, you know, the oil and gas industry is a, is a big, big component of the Norwegian uh, economy. That also, although I don't have myself personal experience in, in oil and, and, and gas industry, but I can very well imagine that that's, you know, also draws a keen interest to the Norwegian tax office, especially for foreign oil and gas companies that are drilling in the Norwegian territory. For sure, for sure.
0: software, keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions, transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai tp that's xbs.ai tp and hosker i know this was a somewhat pedestrian jurisdiction with some quirks the lack of the local and master file and the high audit risk i definitely think set it apart but we're right to my favorite segment of the show and that is the rapid fire what we want to know round always our question one is are you ready I am. Excellent. Good. Question number two, three qualities you'd require in a transfer pricing new hire today.
1: It's an easy answer in that sense. I would say knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. It's a very fast changing environment right now. You need to really keep up to speed and be up to speed with all the developments that are going on in the transfer pricing world. You know, transfer pricing has been all, has been, really for a very long time, it's not always been on the on the agenda for, uh, on, on the political agenda in countries, but right now it is. And things are moving very, very quickly. So you need to be up to speed with all the developments. Yeah, it's a key, key component.
0: Informational knowledge, an absolute must. But what would you say are the skills needed most to interact with global tax authorities?
1: You need to understand and appreciate you know, the culture in the country. You need to understand how authorities operate in a country and that whether it's going to Norway or to any other country. But, you know, the way, let's say, the Norwegian tax authorities operate or the Norwegian culture is around discussing and interacting with government officials is completely different to, let's say, in China or Japan or the US. So you need to And that's my personal view. You need to understand how it is expected to interact with authorities. That's uh, to me, it's it's a key ingredient to appreciate and understand the local habits. 100%.
0: And that's very, very specific to working with uh, tax authorities. But perhaps in a more general sense, um, when I worked in nonprofits, and it's really shaped all of my interactions with international partners of all stripes, uh, a book called Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands, and it's all about etiquette, also about different cultures, and just, you know, really, really great two knows about interactions, and I can't recommend that book enough. Biggest difference that you've observed between cultures at America. American firms and European firms?
1: You know, I mean, American or Anglo-Saxon, maybe that's that's even a better comparison, is are very direct, want to move very fast, very quick. Whereas I think in, in, in Europe, and it's difficult to, I mean, Europe obviously is about, gosh, what is it, 40 to 50 countries. So there are, you know, large differences between various European countries as well. But, you know, it's more... Being more cautious, I would say, maybe a bit more indirect, a bit more maybe even introvert sometimes um, compared to, you know, the very direct American style.
0: Of course, of course. Americans, nothing if not direct.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, although, you know, they do say from, you know, people from the Netherlands, they, they have a license to be blunt. We are also pretty direct but if you compare that with scandinavian people that's you know it's a different culture and, and you have to respect that you know and i find that and i also find that extremely important you have to respect the the cultural background and the way to do business with whether it's talking to the authorities or talking to customers in these countries you know i find that's very important it, you know show respect to to the, the person you're talking to
0: uh, when I live, uh, when I was in college, I lived with uh, two foreign exchange students. One from Trinidad, one from Greece, and they both agreed it's, uh, for America, it's emotional directness because by language, the sarcasm, you can never ever tell what they're being direct about if you're going by the words. But in in that sarcasm is a very emotional bluntness of obviously you have to know I'm kidding because the, the situation is so, uh, speaks for itself to such a degree, I can say almost the exact opposite. Anyway, I have one more question. There is one more question. Here Here's your chance to shine. One thing you love most about your job?
1: It's a different day every day, you know. We talk to so many prospects in so many countries. It's it's always challenging, it's always interesting. There's never a day that's the same as the previous one, you know. And that's really makes it, you know, very interesting, very thrilling and to be able to add value to our customers uh, no matter in what industry they are or in what part of the world they are. And, you know to listen to their experience to their stories call it like that you know it's very inspirational
0: thank you so much hosker for joining us today Always a treat to have you. Thank you to everyone for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And there you can find our short form sister podcast, The Fiona Show Hot Off the Press, with transfer pricing headlines and reg changes for the entire week in 10 minutes or less. My name's Matthew DeMello, and they let me host, edit, and engineer this podcast our executive producer Marilyn Mitchum Strom writes our scripts. We'll be back next week with more in-depth conversations about the nitty-gritty details of transfer pricing in every jurisdiction. Until then, stay safe and stay sane.